Hello again, everyone. Welcome. It's Julie Knudsen with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 138. Today's episode, I'm going to skip G because I've brought everybody up to date and all we're doing right now is just practicing what we've been doing and doing more of it. I'm going to address what I had said earlier, some of the more advanced, not advanced, but an element of the retriever training. But before I get into that, I want to talk about the very nature of dog training itself. And this applies to everybody, all the dogs, all the stuff, all the time. So this one is a little bit more of a global thing, even though my examples and the things I'm going to talk about are going to be the retriever based. I, I want to talk about uh, a way to look at your dog training if you're serious. This is for people that really are kind of serious about this. Uh, it might be just a little much for somebody that just wants to kind of weekend enjoy things with their dogs. So I want to make sure everybody understands that. But when any of us do work, any of us do work, we have a thing that we do, whatever it is, it has generally two components to it. You have knowledge-based work and then you have task-based work. And so knowledge-based work is one where it's, it's not something that you, it's repetition has anything to do with it. People who write computer code, uh, who create, you know, like whoever created Twitter and Instagram and, and the apps that we all use and the programs that we, and the video games, right? Somebody wrote stuff down, wrote, not wrote stuff down, but somebody wrote computer code that creates what you see on the screen and reacts to certain things and inputs and outputs and all that. So that's a knowledge-based thing. You've got to understand a lot of stuff and you've got to be involved in it at every second and understand the bigger picture of what you're doing and what's happening. And so it's, it's a lot more in the head of the person with them understanding the tools that they're using, what they're using and what they're trying to do. Um, I would have to say a brain surgeon, a heart surgeon, don't, you know, doctors, those guys are knowledge-based. You don't have somebody walk into your office and say, man, I got a headache and then just do the same thing with them all the time. You have to, you know, use the knowledge to figure out what really is the problem. Then there are task-based things. And those are things, and I'm going to name things I do. Um, if you're going to bake some cookies, right? If you're going to bake some cookies and you want to bake some peanut butter cookies, then you can find out exactly what you need, exactly how much and what form and what order you put it in and what you do with it. And then what temperature you got everything down and you have a task based thing. And when you follow those steps correctly and have all the correct stuff that you need, then you can recreate the same result every time and it'll be a good one. So every time you do that correctly, you have a great batch of peanut butter cookies. And if you're building a fence, you're putting up fence. So if you're putting up some fence, you have to have the right materials. You have to have the right place to put the fence. You have to have the right stuff to do the holes in the ground and all that. And if you have all that right stuff and you follow directions, and then you can put up a good fence and you can do it again and again and again in different places. So there are task-based things and there are knowledge-based things. And people in dog training, I feel, and I'm going to, a lot of people would not 
I, I can see a lot of people, if they heard me saying this, going, what the heck is she talking about? Or just disagree. But I believe strongly that just like raising kids, training dogs is a knowledge-based activity. There are tasks in it and things that you have to do. But if you are basing your training on, I, I went to a seminar and he showed us everything to do. And so that's what I'm doing, which is generally what a lot of seminars are. Or I looked on YouTube and I got the video and I saw the steps that I go through. And so I'm going to do that with my dog and I'll be able to force fetch it or get it handling or, or woe break or whatever it is you want to do. And people believe that if they take those steps, that they will get the same outcome. And that only works if what the work that you're doing is a task-based work. But when you have a living creature on the receiving end of your training, whether it be a kid or a horse or a, an intelligent dog, then we are talking about something that by its very nature to be successful has to be knowledge based. So going through the motions, doing the steps that someone told you may, it may accidentally work okay, but that's not going to get you the end results in a knowledge based activity. So what am I talking about here? Let's use, and I'm going to, now I'm going to kind of ferret in here to, uh, the running marks things that I was talking about. So before that, I had one, one request on this to explain the difference between mark retrieves and blind retrieves. And, and I'm going to do that with this knowledge based thing that I'm talking about. So a marked retrieve again, marked, like I said, in the last podcast means that the dog is, is hopefully sitting still. The dog sees whatever it is, whether it's a bumper you're throwing, a bumper somebody else is throwing, a dead bird someone else is throwing, or a bird that's flying over and being shot. They look and they see the bird, the object, whatever it is, going through the air and then drop to the ground. So they literally mark it, all right? They see it. And then they know that they are to, or should be taught that they go run to that and pick up whatever was thrown and come back. So a marked retrieve is one that the dog saw and the dog has the responsibility of going and finding it. That's a marked retrieve. So a blind retrieve, and I'm not going to get into how you do blinds in this particular podcast. A blind retrieve is when a dog is sent to get something that they did not see. That is a very unnatural thing for a retriever or really for any dog. So those are two very separate things in the mind of the dog. All right. So we're talking now about understanding this is a knowledge based thing. We need to understand that for a retriever to go get something that saw go down, that's generally not too hard of a thing to work on and refine. To send a dog to retrieve something that they did not see and do not know where it is, that's a bigger, bigger thing. And it takes a lot more time to get in the head of the dog. Many people do a task-based kind of training on a dog to do a blind retrieve. 
So you just repeat some stuff over and over and over and pretty soon they, they get it. And that does not work. You may be able to do that and get a dog to go out whatever magic distance you're practicing, 50 yards or 70 yards, but they don't really understand the concept of a blind retrieve. Aha, there's something out there. I haven't seen it. I don't know where it is. I'm going to totally trust everything you say, and I'm going to give it 100% the whole time, right? That takes a while to get to that, and that's a separate thing. And if you mix these two things together because that makes you more comfortable, the dog is just out there enduring a bunch of task-based training and just hoping that they find whatever they were sent for. So anyway, I'm going to get off of that deal. Back to teaching dogs uh, about retrieve, uh, marking and setting up marks. because And I need to be able to do this to make people understand that this is a knowledge-based kind of a thing, not a repetitive thing. I'll just have him do it a bunch of times and he'll get it. That, that's That's... That's not appropriate here. So let's just go into the head of this dog if we can, and dogs that we're training. You know, I got little G's just on the very beginning of figuring this out. She will ultimately be a competitive dog and a hunting dog who needs to really understand the game and all the elements to it. So for me to teach this dog this ability requires, one, that we do a lot of the retrieving, and second, that I wind up teaching this dog how to handle situations that will come up in terms of retrieving, both on in the competitive world and then in the real world hunting. And any of you that hunt know that weird, weird, odd, unexpected stuff that doesn't go like the rules happens in hunting. And if you have a dog who understands marking birds and retrieving these things, you can be a lot, a lot more successful. And you, that happens when you approach it from a knowledge-based thing versus uh, just a task-based. So what I've seen a lot of people do is, and you know, you have either your thrower for you, you got your buddy and you guys go do stuff, or, you know, you have wingers. And people with wingers always worry me a little bit because it's a very, very mechanical thing. You can't, you know, yell and go, no, don't throw it that way, throw it another way, because you got to go out there and move it, change its angle. But well, let's just talk about marked retrieves and what what goes into that. There's so much. There's so much to this. That's why I'm just going to talk about marked retrieves today. There's so much to this. So what we want, in my opinion, now, is a dog who's sitting next to you, and they can be sitting anywhere. But let's don't get them all tricked out sitting far away or in front of the blind. Let's just begin with the simple things. We need a dog to be sitting next to you, remaining seated. Not jiggling around, jumping up and down, getting wild and excited. Now, when they're G, I'm, that's just what G's learning. So little puppies, you start with the crazy. But when you can, without detracting from their desire, we need them to sit still. That's very important. Then we need them to understand. Now, this is like one set of things at a time. We need them to go, oh, I'm going to look out and I'm going to see something go through the air and drop. Now, in the very beginning, when we start this with puppies, the bumper comes from us. It comes from us. We're sitting there. So they're sitting there, and this thing is going to come up over their head and go out somewhere in front of them and land. If you continuously go through that pattern, then they are never looking out. They're just waiting for something to catch their peripheral of vision above their head, and then they will focus in on it. That's why it's very important for competitors and hunters to, when possible, 
have the throw be not coming from them because there's no no time in hunting or competition where you're throwing stuff. There has to be a, the bird has to be thrown from out there, that whatever, a bumper, whatever. Just, if I say bird, it's, I'm meaning whatever's thrown. The thing is thrown in front of them. Now, there's a lot that goes into that for people who haven't done it before. So <laughs> we're just on step one, right? So if you have your dog's other best buddy out there and you, they, they throw the bumper when you signal that the dog's ready. The, the gunner gets them, uh, look, gets the dog looking out. Don't use the hand like a rudder. Don't be moving their head. The dog has to take the responsibility to look out. So if you have a thrower, they can hop up. If you got a winger, you can do it. It's a little quack sound that it makes. The dog now looks out and watches. They're looking out because things, good things are going to happen out front. And then this gets, you get a, a noise or something, and then it gets thrown. And it gets thrown, not behind the person, the thrower, not in front towards, not towards the bird, the dog or you, but completely sideways. So you have full view of something being thrown and landing. Now here's the hard part. If your thrower is one of the best friends of this dog, the dog might run out and get that and then run over to their buddy that threw it. Goes, here, I always bring it back to whoever threw it. So that's a stage. That everybody goes through. So then you have either your gunner is out of sight, unreachable, or your gunner throws and then runs back behind you to encourage the dog to come back to you. You've got to work through that. That's the easier thing about a winger because it's not a, the dog might run over there, but there's no one to jump on or interact with. So the dog has to learn that regardless of where the bird emanates from, <clears throat> it will land and they go get it and they bring it back to you. So that's why those things have to be thrown across the view of the dog. There's no point in trying to see how far you can get or any other thing. First, teach them that this is how this works. Teach the dog that they need to look at and watch and see. Okay, that might happen real quickly. It might take a little bit. So that's the first skill that you have to have on the dog. Always make sure the dog can see it. Be very careful about what the background is. If you're throwing white bumpers and you've got white clouds, the vision, the dog's ability to make that out, white against white, might, some dogs can and some dogs cannot. So again, if you have uh, a black bumper, then that's why they have black bumpers. So now if you've got a white sky behind you, then you're going to throw something that's dark that they can see in contrast so they can see where it is. Similarly, if you're throwing against a big old stand of dark green trees, and you're throwing, you know, uh, a black bumper or an orange bumper. Orange and uh, green are very close on, on light wavelength. So dogs have great difficulty, some, not all, but some differentiating between orange and green. So if you got a big green background, then maybe that white bumper would be great. So they can see the white against the dark background. So be aware of what's behind what you're doing when you throw for this puppy. And this will go forever. When you're going for, you know, qualifying for the Master National, all that stuff, you know, getting ready to run a field trial, make sure that you are aware of what the, <laughs> this dog is going to see when they see that. So that's another critical thing on that stuff. So be aware of the background. 
Another thing you have to be aware of, now we're just doing beginning dog singles right now. The other thing you have to be aware of is the wind. Because remember, they're going to use eyes and then they're going to use their nose. So if the wind is, the, the wind is where they gather their data, right? So if the wind blows over whatever you threw and goes into their nose, then that's how they determine it's there, when it, unless it's just out in the open. So in the very beginning, have it out in the open. So if they get to the area, they can see it and they're taught this. Now, as soon as that's, they can do that, now you can throw that into some grass, into some cover. Not super heavy, impossible stuff. You don't want to throw it into something that if you need to go find it, you can't find it either. Keep, we're teaching right now. We're not testing. We're not challenging. We're just seeing, we're teaching this dog. All right, now you're going to go out and get to the right appropriate area. And then you're not going to be able to see it like you did before. So now you're going to have to start using um, your nose for that. So that's another element to teaching dogs to run marked retrieves. So be careful. Don't be, uh, do not push this stuff. Everybody wants to get in a hurry. The other thing people often want to do is start going long. Going long is like a measure of how good your dog is. And, <laughs> you know, when they're two years old, yeah, possibly. But right now it's not. What you want to do is vary your distances when you're doing your retrieves. Now, I strongly feel if when you're training, do three retrieves, two or three, and then stop no matter what because after that and every good pro on the planet earth is going to tell you that and the reason for that is is because we want maximum benefit from this learning situation and we don't want to put too much stuff in one time in one single training deal just because you can grasp in the cover at different kind of winds different kind of background let's get it long let's get it short don't put all of that uh, when you go out on a day have a plan and go all right today we're just going to work on hunting it up in the cover but do two or three do not throw the same mark again if you repeat running the same mark you teach them that don't try too hard because you're going to go back there and be able to get it again I'm going to say that real strongly. And I different, some people don't agree with that, but I have absolutely found I don't retreat, repeat marks. So if I have a little bit older dog than Dean, they're coming back and they're bringing it to me. Okay. I'm going to make sure I have my dis, distances, my background. I, I hope I have somebody out there throwing for me. Um, you know, if not, I would guess I would use my wingers, but I would have a single mark. The, the bird would be thrown, um, either a flat throw, which means 90 degrees out from me straight out to the, to the gunning station and over, that's a 90 degree thing, or a little bit of an angle back. You want to vary that. You don't want to teach them to, at this point when you're first teaching, to run short of that stuff. You want them at least to get out where the gunning station is. So it's going to be clearly visible, thrown flat, so 90 degrees, or a little bit further back, angle back, not behind. So you, you don't ever teach them to run at the gunning station in the beginning. Just don't. Later on in advanced stuff, you'll have to do that. So you've got that. He throws out there. Let's do in, in the wind. Let me get the wind. So if I have a dog that's really having trouble doing this stuff, I might have be running this mark directly into the wind so that you know, if they're going out there, they can smell it from, from 10 yards away. 
and then get them help them find it. If they need some help doing this because they're struggling or their confidence is low, then I run them right into the wind so that once they'll get downwind and they'll smell that and that'll help them get to it. When I have a dog where I don't need to do that, then generally what I like to do is a crosswind. Right? So in other words, that means that the wind is 90 degrees from us. It's a direct crosswind. The reason I want to do that is because I'm going to have my thrower, and I always have my thrower throw it with, with the wind. It goes with the wind, not into the wind. It goes with the wind. So if my little dog runs to the thrower, they aren't going to smell it. They're going to have to go out and hunt that up. If you threw it into the wind, then if the dog ran at the gunner and got out there, they would that would reward them by then they'd smell the bumper because the bumper's blowing right at the bumper smell is blowing right at the gunner. So you got to be careful about that. That that's going to teach him if you do that with much repetition. You just run at your gunner, then you'll sniff it, go find it, and that that'll really eat you up in a in competition. So throwers throw with the wind. It really helps. That way if they run out there, they've got to go out to where the bird is and find it. So the other way is if you throw it, the, the way that you want to do most of the time, if you're not trying to teach something, is uh, to have the wind going from, you're running downwind. So your dog literally has to get a little bit downwind of the bird. They run out there to the area and then they've got to be just a little bit deep to be able to find it and come back in. So be aware of the wind and how you throw it and what effect that has because that's really big. So you don't want to teach them bad habits like run at the gun. Um, you don't want to teach them bad habits like, oh, if you don't get it, we'll just throw it again. Don't do that. If you throw a single and the dog struggles a little bit, then go, yeah, we'll have to keep doing this. You move your gunning station and your gunner away from that mark into the wind away not downwind of it because then they'll still smell it into the wind away and at a different distance so that the two marks are not related you don't want them to just think that they can run back to the same place all the time that's never that'll put you out in competition and if you're hunting, it's not like all the ducks fall in one spot, all the pheasants. You have to go to this spot. And after that, now we got totally new stuff. That's, that's one of the reasons you don't want to repeat stuff. You just don't. You just trust me on that if you don't buy into that. That's a bad habit that you don't want a dog, well, I'll just go back where I've always been because I always find something. So you throw that one single with the wind, right? We got a young guy throwing it with the wind. They hunted up, had a little bit of trouble, right? So we're going to go do another one that's a little bit, maybe just a little bit longer, that's moved far enough away, maybe 45 degrees, maybe more away from that, and we're going to throw another one. And if they had trouble with that one, let's maybe throw a shorter one or same length, but have them be separate. And so we're going to do three of these things, and then we're going to watch. All right. What does what does the dog struggle with? Does the dog not have much confidence when we're starting out this and they just run out and stand next to the gunner? Uh, and there's a whole thing gunners should do. And again, that's I wrote that up in the book. 
Um, I, you know, that's, there's a lot to that. You need to have somebody who knows when to help. You don't want them running to the gunner and then the gunner throws them another one because then you'll teach them just run over there and it gets a lot easier. You have to have this kind of set up what to do so that the dog learns. I don't interact with this gunning station or this person. I just run out and get it. If you get a winger and they're having trouble, if you only have a one shot winger, then then you're in trouble a little bit. If you have a, a two-shot wing where you can shoot something again, throw something again, or your gunner, when the dog's not looking, goes hop and throws another one so they look out and get it, you kind of help that way. Generally, you don't want to repeat these things. You don't want these guys to learn. I know there's a whole school of thought in dog training. And when they have trouble, have them do it over and over. That'll teach them. Again, this is knowledge-based. This is not task-based. When we have them do the same thing over and over again, that's what they learn. Ah, don't worry about it. You'll just do it again and again and again. And so they're just, they're not really learning anything other than ultimately you're going to wind up making it easier for them. When they don't do the marks that you've set up well, look at what it is that they aren't doing well. And the next day when you go out to do marks, set something up that's going to be teaching along those lines. Okay, that's the, that's the knowledge-based training that I am talking about here. You adjust every single day to what that dog tell you, tells you its strong suit is and its weak suit. And it's the weak suit that you want to help and teach. So that's one of the things you, so you have to take into account distance, terrain. You have to take into account the knowledge base of your thrower or your winger if you've got that. What is the background and what is the wind? Now this is on the most simple thing. Don't repeat. Make sure you have enough space. For those of you that live in the city, I know this is hard, but you can't go to the same field and do the same stuff because really that's sort of like dating your sister. It's just it, that they, they know it so well that because you think, well, we're running marks, so they're getting better at marks, they're actually getting worse at marks because they already know where everything is and they can see how ah, it landed right behind the stream over there. I know where to go. And so they don't have to bear down and mark really well because they just know everything. So as tempting as that is when you're limited on time and space, you do have to go to different places and practice different things. And just because you're in one field and now you turn it around and you run it from the other field, in a pretty short order, the dog knows where everything is. So that's a lot of stuff to take into account right there. Now, everybody gets real excited about running doubles. Um, before I get into that, I, before you even think about running doubles, which is everybody's all excited about, I am never in a hurry to do that. I'm not. Matter of fact, I have to kind of go, yeah, you need to start doing this because there's right now there's a lot more to... I think you should have really excellence on singles before you add a whole nother thing to have to remember on that. So if you're, if you have hill stuff, you know, if you have hills, you need to understand how dogs naturally want to run. Dogs do not, they run down a hill or up a hill. In the, if they were just wild dogs, you ever watch a coyote or do something, they, they want to go straight down a hill, straight up a hill. They want to square things. They want to take the shortest distance between the top and the bottom. They don't just sort of, unless they're really looking for something, kind of angle sideways down a little bit. They just don't do that. Dogs will go around cover and obstacles, not through or over them. 
Dogs tend to want to run around water, right? And not get into it. That's a whole nother training program. So when you got young dogs, they aren't going to. Now, when they're real young, sometimes they just dive straight in the water, right? Straight to it and straight back because they're just so excited about it. It won't take long for that dog to learn. Hey, if I just run around over the side, I can just jump in and get it even faster. So they'll like even faster. So when you are training young dogs that haven't been through the water training, set up falls that are in the middle of the pond. So there's only one way and that's to just go at it. Don't expect little dogs to do big dog things when you haven't taught them. Okay. They don't know what your expectations are. They haven't watched the, the hunting with Hank on TV. They don't know any of this stuff. They just love it and they're going to go the fastest way. That is stuff that has to be trained. You need to have a lot of knowledge to be able to do this. So when you think you have good singles, you know, you're yeah, my dog does singles really well. Then begin to change up some things, right? To make it's make it it's often a little more difficult, or they really have to mark if the wind is coming from behind you. So they're running downwind. Because then if they're a little to the right or a little to the left, they aren't gonna wind it like they will with a crosswind. So they got to really have to mark that way. So, you know, set up stuff like that when you really want to test that. You know, do a, a short mark, which may be 75 yards or 50 yards. Then do a yes, yes, even if you're just a hunter. Do a long one, you know, that may be 100 yards. So we're starting out now. And then do another longer one, maybe 125 or 50. Or if they have trouble with that. Or they do really like the long ones and they're starting to run too long. Then come back and do a short one. In other words, respond to what your dog is telling you they are not doing well. If you have one that's, um, like I said on yesterday or on the last thing, you know, throw one, have a guy standing up on something and throwing down so that they learn, never mind where the gunning station is, go to where the bird is, have them down throwing up on something. Sometimes that can mess them up. Sometimes you throw them just on the backside of something so that they have to go past where they saw it to see it. Throw it where they have to angle stuff that they don't want to angle. You know, dogs either want to run down roads or across roads. So have them where they got to run a little ways on the road and the road turns and then they got to get off. You know, dogs don't want to angle up hills. So throw some things where they angle up hills. You can actually figure out what dogs do by watching what your dog does. They'll tell you what their particular idiosyncrasy is. You need to respond to that first. So getting really good at singles takes a long time. I mean, really, it takes, if you have a dog that's old enough, that's over six months, and you do two or three, you know, mark retrieves every day, it, it, it's going to be some months before that dog has got, okay, I got this. And there's all of these elements. And you don't have to have somebody who's done it all before you standing there with you telling you everything. No, dogs always square heels. No, dogs will always square the water. No, dogs will always, you know, go around the cover. You can pay attention to what your dog does in certain situations and learn from it. That's what makes the best judges and people that want to judge this. When you watch a lot of dogs do stuff, go out and throw people. If you're in a training group, after you're done running your dogs, get out there and throw and watch every dog. What do they do? 
Some you can see are running right at you and then go over where they think it is. Some go right to it. Some are just running. You know, they just run and if they don't smell it, they just keep going. So they got the mindless thing. So they were allowed to develop a mindless thing in their training. See how much there is to this stuff? And if you watch what dogs do all the time, that tells you what to do with the dogs that you have. So I don't, I train generally a group of dogs, right? I don't go, and go today we're all going to do this. Generally, I'll have, you know, I know God, these guys need this and that. This one has no confidence at all. I'm going to move my line up 50 yards on this particular dog. And I'm going to have it just be a flat throw. And I'm just so that we just develop this stuff. And then when I get my next dog, this guy is overrunning everything. Right? So I'm going to do some things to adjust to that. That It's a knowledge-based thing when you do this. Everything is. Basic obedience is knowledge-based. Force fetching is knowledge-based. Um, jumping through hoops and tubes and stuff that those agility guys do. That's a knowledge-based thing. You practice it a lot. There's, to me, there's very, very little in this that is task-based. The only time that I do the same kind of thing over and over is where I want the dog to be comfortable and understand the expectations. But the whole entire time, I'm paying attention to what they're telling me. Are they tuning me out? I got to tune them back in. Are they telling me that they don't really like this? Are they telling me that their foot hurts? The whole, so I'm going to say there, to me, there's basically very, very little task-based stuff on this. It is all knowledge-based. The entire force fetch program is responding instantaneously what, to what your dog says, to what you're doing every time. And running marked retrieves, holy cow, is that. So if you're sitting there looking at this stuff, trying to set it up, there are so many things to take into account. So many. And one, what is what do I have here where I'm doing this? What's the setup? What's the background? What's the wind? What's the lighting? Lighting is another one. If you have the sun behind you, if the sun is behind you, illuminating all your marks and all that stuff, that's great. You know, you can then even if you have a bunch of dark trees or big green hills behind you, the, the light on whatever you're throwing makes it very, very visible. By the end of the day, when the sun has gone to the other side, is in, in your face. Dogs probably can't even see what you're throwing against the brightness. So again, lighting is a big deal in what that dog sees, just like it would be for you. So if when you're going to go do a setup on marks, I don't care what level you are, make sure that you're not just doing a test thing. Okay, this guy over there, 45 over, let's have another one. Let's have, I had somebody ask me one time, they said, can you tell us where the difficulty, like when you have two marks and they're both thrown outwards, and then you have one of them thrown inward and the other one outward, or if you have both thrown inward, converging marks, which one's the easiest, which one's the hardest? And I did, I said, I, I can't possibly, that, I, no, <laughs> that's not how that works. You give me the right place, I can give two marks out there thrown away from each other that are going to be impossible. And the two converging ones would be way easier given what the situation is. So there's no such thing as what kind of marks are easy and what kind of marks are hard. Because all of these factors go into that terrain. What are the obstacles? What's going to draw them over here? What are they going to avoid? Which way are they going to want to take that hill or that road or that water? There is so much. And the way you learn it 
is by watching your dog and setting up whatever you're doing, the simple things you're setting up with great awareness. Okay, look at this. I have changing cover. Sometimes changing cover is a wall to some dogs. To some it is not. I have changing cover. There's a road over to the side that they might want to get on. I have all of this, uh, and then it's going uphill towards the end. And the guy is standing, I, I have him where I can see him, so he's way up high and he's kind of throwing down. I have all of these factors. You, if, don't have too many, but just pay attention. Sun's behind me, we got good visibility. Wind's behind me, so the wind's probably not going to help him much. He's going to have to get just right downwind of it to smell it. Think about all of those things. So this is not a task base, not if you go out and set up marks every day. Um, and so they'll get better and better. They, they'll only get better at the thing that you're doing. And if you're always doing the same thing, that's all. And again, when they mess up one of your marks, when they mess them up, I'm going to say, unless you got a little guy and, you know, maybe you got to move up and try, if it's really benefited by having him, you know, he won't get up where this one landing is, then move up a little closer and, and go ahead and have the guy throw it one more time so that he learns, yeah, you can get up on that little flat spot. It's okay maybe but generally do not repeat marks set up the marks that you have watch what your dog does think about what that is decide you know is my dog just terrible that's what i get people's people's dogs you have all these factors in a set of marks and then they they run the dog and the dog doesn't do very well and they're thinking the dog didn't do very well and it's not very good or it had a bad day when the dog who knows but you had so much stuff in there and then one mark was too close to the other or he could smell the other mark on his way out to that one so as a young dog he's going to go where he smelled stuff right so you got to have your gunner one don't set that up in the beginning later on you train him not to do that but if you have a little guy that smells something then you got to have your thrower you know get them back over where they're supposed to be you need to have a thrower out there who is very helpful and understands at the same level that you do what needs to happen. So training groups, so training groups. When you have a training group and you're, you know, everybody, the new guy needs to go out and throw always. I think everyone should be out. I throw all the time. I have thrown more birds than anyone I know. And I will still go out and throw because I'm going to learn more out there than I am standing around talking to people. So when you have a training group, people should be out there throwing. And when they are, they should be watching, if you care about this, watching the dogs. What are they doing? They're all going behind the gun and then coming over. Is that the wind? What's doing that? Is it the other mark? Is there something that they see? There's so much to that. So when you set up your marks think about all of that so we've got wind we've got distance we've got terrain we've got cover we've got lighting we've got background we've got experience of the dog we've got experience of the gunner so it would be very nice if your gunners get trained by somebody experienced that says one when you help do not teach a dog on a set of marks hey when you can't find it just go over here because he's going to walk over and show it to you that, no, that's there's nowhere in the world where that happens. You have to have a gunner that knows exactly what to do. Like I said, I've written all that up. But you should have a gunner when the dog's hunting and getting out of the area and you don't have one that can handle real well. And this is not the place to practice all your handling anyway unless you absolutely have to. You know, where they hop and when the dog turns around, there's one in the air that's dropping right out there where it went. 
So then they do get out there, but it's not because they relied on this guy. So you got to know when to help, how to help. There's a whole, whole thing to that so that you're not teaching the dog that they can always rely on somebody else or you're not doing the work for them. So you need good people out there. That's important, particularly if you're going to compete. You're going to have to have some somebody out there or a really versatile winger that can do what you need to the minute that it does. All right? So I'm not even going to get... I have, it's 40 minutes. I haven't even gotten to doubles. Don't even worry about doubles until you can do all kinds of singles really well. Because if you're just kind of doing one, and now we're going to try and do two, now we're going to have two that are kind of fuzzy and obscure with the, in the dog's mind. So to go back to my original thing on dog training, this is knowledge-based, not task-based. It's not if you just go run marks every day, they'll get good. Only if what you're doing is set up the way I said, where you are responding all the time to what your dog's telling you about its understanding and its skill level, and that you are continuing to set up the things to address that. Sometimes dogs have bad days, but if you see consistent behavior, that's telling you something about your training and what you need to do. So this is more like computer programming or child raising than it is baking a cookie. There's not a set of things that you go through to get this. So before you get all excited about running blind retrieves and all excited about doubles, make sure that you have this part thoroughly understood. And it's, it's not just the easiest thing in the world because it takes a lot of thinking. Just like if you were programming a new you know, video game. You've got to think about this. You have, and you know, I've been doing this a long time. And every time when I go out and set this stuff up, I don't just go, oh, I'm in a hurry, let's go. You get over, I always, okay, what, who have I got here? What am I going to get? What do I have available to me in terms of setting stuff up? How can I use the terrain I have to test things the way that are, you know, teach what it is I want to teach? What am I going to do with the wind? What am I going to do if the wind changes? I might have to set up something that's going to take into account a little bit of a changing wind. Do I need to use the wind to help the dog? Or be of no help at all and have it going straight downwind before you get into the more advanced stuff the blind retrieve stuff which is way more than this in terms of getting into the dog's head it's not just by going and doing some stuff and like they were a robot because this is not robot stuff this it's not a task thing it is a knowledge-based thing and it is challenging to do it well so that's the start part of marks. I will have more on, you know, some of the other stuff. But if you get this part, I'm not going to have to tell you a whole lot more on the, on the running the multiple things. You know, it's just basic obedience and doing this two or three times. That's all it is. So get this part perfect. Start it with little g. Start it with your level of awareness. What is the dog seeing? What are they thinking? And I, I got to add just this to the end one of the things that I had mentioned in the prior podcast, when you're doing some kind of long marks, now for me, a long mark is 350, right? That's a long mark because in a qualifying, you know, they'll have that. Certainly in, in field trials and derbies and all of it, they'll have that. And any more in the master hunters, you know, I've had ridiculously long marks. So I need a dog that can go get a bird wherever it fell. But I want 
people to understand this. Go out and be the bird planner and the bird thrower. Because as you walk out there to the gunning station or out there to plant the blind, so I personally don't care for the four-wheel drive, four-wheelers, even though we have them. I don't like that. I want to go out and see what the dog is going to see. Many times, the, when you get out there further and further, that picture changes from when you were way back, particularly if up high or you're down low. The picture changes. Everything is very different out there. So when you are going to teach these things to dogs, go out there yourself and see what it looks like and see how it changes because it really does. Um, so picture changes when you're standing, uh, the, your dog's at the line and then they get out there. Things look very different. You need to be aware of that. The only way that's going to happen is if you walk yourself out there. And if it's hard for you to do, understand, you know, then get on a, a mountain bike or I guess if you have to take the four-wheeler, put, put on out there and see what that looks like for the dog. That will help you be much better at teaching them how to run marks and for understanding maybe some of the challenges that are out there that you hadn't thought of before. There is a lot to this, folks. And if you want to do it really well, kind of think about this a little bit. And for heaven's sake, if you want to judge, you really do need to know this stuff. So that's my offering today. My next one will be, we'll get back on the G update and maybe talk uh, a little bit more about difference between marks and blind retrieves and some of the work that, but I would, when I do, I want everybody to know this. When I train a dog uh, to run a blind retrieve, they have to be force fetched. And then after that, it's three, four, five, six months before they're good at that. So that is not a quick thing. Um, not if you could kind of do it solidly and so it lasts a lifetime of a dog. So that's today's offering in the bitter cold that many of us are experiencing. Um, I hope that at least it gives people food for thought about setting up marks and what all goes into it. And uh, I will be back, G and I will be back with the next uh, thing pretty soon.